Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the Gamers Guild, the Star Wars Shatterpoint podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about rules and all of the things to do with rules, or most of the things. My name is Kenny, and welcome to the Gamers Guild. With me tonight, I have the one, the only, the one absolute Matt. How are you, Matt? I'm great, Kenny. How are you? I am doing great. I'm excited. We have rules, so now I can just further not understand rules, just like I do with MCP. It's great. Yeah, it's definitely going to take some games once we're able to get a hold of these models and you know get these under our belts. At least we got them beforehand this time, so we can try to be prepared for opening weekend. Yeah, that'll that'll be very nice, especially when trying to demo with people. Um, also joining us tonight, the legendary Sean, aka Sandbox. How are you, Sean? I don't know about legendary, but I'm doing all right. I mean, as far as I know, there's only one of you, so legendary is a uh, is good in my book. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, honestly. Beyond hype. I'm so happy to finally get some hands on these, like the full context of these rules and been kind of deep diving this for the past couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's been really fun to just go through and read everything and try and understand everything is, I mean, it's a what 40 page document. So there's a, there's a lot of content to try and digest. Um, so a lot of this episode we've talked about, or we'll have we'll talk about some of the new rules that we didn't really know before and then just clarify some things that we speculated about in our episodes before when they were just getting like the slow like IV drip of rules and updates from AMG. So just to start off with, um, we're gonna go through some a little bit of the roster building. Uh, in our previous episodes, um, we we talked about strike teams and rosters. Um, and so it is confirmed like per game. Uh, you're just going to bring a strike team that comprises of two squads. So there's not really going to be like what we had speculated, like the flexibility of having maybe four squads to choose two from for a game. Um, but the other thing too, is like a little bit more understanding of like how the, uh, the missions work. So each person's roster includes one strike team, which is the two squads and then one mission set. And so the mission set includes three sets of struggle cards uh, which are each contain like three phases of cards. Um, so basically you'll have nine struggle cards, three for each phase of the game, phase one, phase two, phase three. Um, and then there's also just the one struggle layout card. So by my math, that makes 10 cards. Correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen. Math nine checks plus out. one is a 10. Okay, cool. Glad, uh, glad my first grade math is not failing me today um so that's kind of exciting right now we know we only have one set of mission cards so uh, excited to hear about just more missions coming out from amg in the future um what are y'all's thoughts i mean just quick like rapid fire thoughts on on the roster building just being two squads and one mission set i like that it's simple i mean you don't have to worry about having like a lot of choices to pick from. So you make your two strike squads, you have your mission and you're just good to go. And same here. Um, I like that. I 
slightly bummed there's only one mission set that's coming out from my knowledge. But, uh, I mean, the fact that you're getting all of those struggles with it, it's going to add a lot more diversity than, like, MCP, where you just had a few crisis cards and you kind of go from there. So it'll be really cool. Yeah, it'll be exciting. I mean, it, it basically makes, is it, what, 27 sets of, like, different scenarios that you can play throughout the game three times three times three so i mean there's definitely going to be a diversity in how the game plays out so definitely okay with that um and i kind of like that the strike team is just two squads too because like you're not going to like go up to the table and like end up playing list chicken with someone like oh like do i take this squad or this squad because they have this squad like it's just you have what you have and you're going for it there so definitely a definitely a fan of that yeah, it definitely helps that you can understand your models and know your game plan and don't have to really struggle with uh, decision paralysis going up to a game. Yeah, I, th- I think starting off when the in the game's life, I think just having the strike team, no decisions like that, it's going to be a lot, uh, probably healthier. Um, maybe down the line, like after like year one or something like that, maybe then implementing a format where you do like a bit of the bring a few make them make a choice will be a little bit more prominent but i think for starting off that this is good looks great <laughs> yeah i mean we only have six squads release or i mean we have six set squads like you can obviously mix and match but there's not a whole lot of variety that like we'll have um early on so maybe later down the line when we get a lot more releases we'll see that but let's uh let's go ahead and jump into the setup of the game after we've got the rosters like we're actually showing up to the table what do we do next sean so you're gonna roll five dice um from there you're gonna add your successes most crits is goes to the first player um ties goes to the strike results um then expertise results so this time it's a little bit different you're looking for crits first uh and then from there you go from like strikes and expertise and then if there's still a tie after that you're gonna re-roll everything uh, from there, you choose the mission set. So at the moment, that's not really going to matter because there's only the one set. But eventually, we will get a whole other mission set. And each player with their strike team brings a mission set with them. And so if you're bringing two separate ones, um, you actually will choose your own or your opponent's. Um, from there, you're going to shuffle the three phases for, of the struggle separately. Phase one, phase two, phase three. Uh, you're going to draw one from each, and those will be the struggles from, for that game you're playing. From there, um, you're going to set up the mission of what that uh, mission set brings. Uh, right now, it'll be the, the nine points in like the box that we have currently. Um, the one interesting thing that they have, you actually set up the mission first, and then you're supposed to set up terrain per the rule book. Um, I don't see that really mattering that much what order you do that in, but you know I digress. That's just how they have it in the book. I think if you if there are tournaments down the road for this game, it'll most definitely be done opposite. Um, but going from that, you have deployment where you're starting with the first player. You deploy your primary unit within range two of your board edge, and then your secondary and support of that squad are placed within range one of the primary unit if you place them. 
Um, once you're done doing that back and forth and everyone's deployed, you reveal the top card of the mission deck after the deployment, and you that is it. Nice. Thanks, Sean. Um, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the cast, like the battlefield and mission setup, and I just had the thought, like, as we were reading it, like, it could be, like, that they want it this way because, like, how the terrain... Like if you show up to a table and the train's already set up, like that could impact the mission pack you choose for the game to like advantage you potentially a little more. Like if you look at your opponent's mission packs or like do something like that's a little more in your favor. So, I mean, maybe that has an impact on it. It could. I I could definitely. Yeah, I could see that happening down the road. Um, That's kind of a double-edged sword, though, in my opinion. Like, cause that there's a little bit of like nuance and maybe like kind of fun to that of being like, oh, well I brought this mission pack, but due to the, to the layout of the mission pack, I know they brought and seeing this terrain set up, like I absolutely want to try to play theirs. Um, adds, I think it adds just like another layer of, um, just, yeah. yeah, yeah, it just has like another layer to it all really. Um, it's to me, that's interesting. I can definitely see that being different for other people though. Yeah, I don't know. Matt, what do you think? Um, I think that it'll be more advantageous. I mean, it's going to affect, make setup for rounds at, like, if at events longer, but it will provide you, like, say you get to the table first and you see the terrain already set up, it, you might just take a side that's more advantageous to you because it doesn't, doesn't mention anything about, like, you pick a side to deploy on <laughs> that I remember reading in the rule book. So... But we, I mean, it doesn't really make a, a difference right this second until we get more missions because we don't know how those future missions are set up. Yeah, that's true. Very, very true. Um, yeah, I wonder how many ties we're going to get rolling the attack dice. I think I played a game of MCP the other day like where we tied like the first two rolls. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, I just want to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it takes like 10 seconds to roll dice, but it's just funny. So I'm yeah. curious if like they're going crits to make it like more likely that one person wins it more quickly. I don't know. Math, statistics. Right. I, I, I kind of like it. I'll be honest. Um, the fact that it's just like, it, it will be a feels bad for the players. Like, oh, I rolled five strikes and they just rip. Oh, I ripped <laughs> this one crit. Therefore, I go first. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, crits aren't blocked, so I mean, yeah, that, I mean, it makes sense with the, with the rules of the game. It's just funny. Um, well, cool. So after we uh, after we deploy, we go into scoring and then the three phases. So um, there's there's a couple of different aspects. So first, like how do you how do you score? How do you control the objectives? So to control the objectives, you contest the objective. Um, if you're within range two and you are not wounded. Um, so at the end of each turn, the player with the most characters at the same elevation of the objective uh, at the end of that turn controls it. So ties don't change who controls. So like, let's say turn one, like I go and control like a middle objective. And then Matt moves one of his units and goes and um, is also trying to contest it. It won't change who's, controlling it as we'll both be contesting it so it'll still be under my control at that point um 
And so like if you do control the objective, uh, you place one of your control tokens on the objectives when you control them. Um, inactive, inactive objects can't be controlled or contested. So um, in the mission pack, we know that the struggle layout card is just a three by three grid, um, but not every single one of those points is going to be an active objective. So you can't contest those or control them or anything like that. Like they don't, they don't count towards the game. Only the active objectives do. Um, and so um, after that, after you, or let's go into, do y'all have any like other thoughts or things I might've missed on controlling objectives before we jump into the next section? I think this is where really your supporting unit is going to help you out because you can divide them up. They don't have to stay together. So like if there's active objectives closer to your guys and your opponent doesn't have any over there, you can just, you know, move within range two of two different ones. And at the end of that turn, be contesting those if they don't have anybody near it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting having played MCP for so long where you got to be within range one to, to control and contest an objective. It's like now like, Oh, it's range two. Like I have so much more room for activities. Yeah, room for activities, room for, like wiggle room to like <laughs> make mistakes on my movement distances. It's like, oh, I can definitely make this move. No, I can't. I'm. Yeah, like, it's a little more flexible, uh, forgiving. Yeah, so so that's nice too. And then it's really f- like I really like how the elevation um, impacts the contesting and controlling of objectives. So. Like if I had a character who was same elevation as the objective and Sean had one who was like a level lower than it, like I would be the one controlling it, not Sean, because I'm at the same level. Um, so basically, Sean, get on my level. Right. Or if, he, yeah. if he even had two below you, you would still Yeah. Be, yeah. Even if he like has that. two, my two is I... better than his or my one is better than his two. Right. To me, what's intriguing is that they even allowed to have like someone below an a point be considered contesting. So like if you have nothing and I have one under the point that I, I am still considered contesting that point. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense because like you can still somewhat like defend the objective like. Like now you can't defend it as effectively as if you're like right actually at the objective or on top of it, but like underneath it, you're still like, Oh, like I can protect like maybe the objectives left flank or whatever, like the left side of it and, and control it. So I, I do like it because uh, you have to remember you want to get, you can't repeat actions in, in the game during your activation. So like, if you don't have a way to get up to that same elevation or um, enough movement to climb or, you know, ingress point to climb up, then you can still, you know, score that if somebody else isn't around it. Yeah, I, I'm not, I will reiterate here, like, I'm not saying I don't like it. I just think it's interesting. Why Why do you hate it? I, I, so much. So <laughs> much. So, yeah. So that's how you control objectives, but now you actually need to win the struggle. So, like, controlling the objectives gets you points for the round, but it's really about winning the struggle because the first player to claim two of the struggle cards throughout the game wins the game. So at the end of each player's turn, uh, excluding the first turn of the game, 
um, you will move the struggle token towards your momentum tokens equal to the number of objectives you control. So start of the game, you and your opponent both have a momentum token on the eight section of your game, which or section of the struggle board, which is the furthest outside of the middle. And then the struggle token starts in the middle. So turn one, like I move characters, I don't get any points. Turn two, Matt moves characters, like he might control like one or two points. So he moves to struggle one or two points to to his side. Um, and so to win the struggle, um, you win the struggle when the struggle token is placed in the same space as one of your momentum tokens. Or one of your, you'll lose it if it's on your opponent's momentum tokens. And so to get momentum tokens added to your side of the struggle tracker to basically make your tug of war a little bit more advantage towards you, um, you can get those by wounding one of wounding a unit. So whenever you a unit is wounded, the opposing player gains a momentum token. So the second way you score or you get a momentum token is if you move the struggle token at the end of your turn. Uh, if the struggle token remains on your opponent's side of the tracker, I would gain a momentum token. Um, and so that's that's kind of nice because like it kind of somewhat balances that tug of war aspect where like your opponent's not just like foot on the gas the entire time. Like you have ways to like potentially catch up and swing it in your favor as well and not have to fight as much of an uphill battle. And then the last way is excluding the first turn. If a player moves a struggle token at the end of their turn and it is on the center space of the struggle tracker, each player then gains a momentum. Um, so that's how you get momentum tokens. Um, the other thing to note is if the struggle token is already down and then you gain a momentum token where the struggle token is, you do not win the struggle yet because you have to move the struggle token to the same space as one of your momentum tokens. So you would not move it yet at that point um, as the momentum token is just getting placed there. So you would still have to move it to that spot or move it further back on your side. So what do y'all think, or let's, let's see, Sean, what do you think about um, winning the struggle? Like it's, it's a very interesting system. Um, I mean, we've kind of already said that before and just learning about the game and while there were leaking rules here and there, but now getting the full picture, thinking that this game was going to be fast, like really fast, like potentially faster, like MCP, I don't know anymore. Um, I actually think it's going to be probably about on par of speed of MCP the because of how back and forth everything's going to be because you score like they're outside of like in particular things you'll score just at the at the end of every turn as long as you're like sitting on points or meeting the, these clauses that you mentioned for momentum um it's i think it's actually going to like that part is going to make the game a bit slower in that aspect even though the game plays quick you're still that struggle is going to actually like last quite a bit between the phases um i think it's great but outside of that, yeah, it's going to be a little bit slower. I think it games will probably average around like an hour, hour and a half once you know the rules. I think the struggle that will take the longest is going to be the first one. Because, I mean, that's the one where you're, in, like, at least in this current mission, after after we read it, you know, we have that like point 
on the phases two and three of the struggle where certain objectives give you a bonus point counts as two rather than one. So, I mean, the first one I think is going to take the longest and then by people getting wounded throughout the phases, I think the last two struggles will actually be a lot quicker than the first one. Yeah. And then the other thing to note too is uh, after uh, a player has won a struggle, you remove all the momentum tokens from the struggle tracker, uh, set all objectives to their inactive side and remove any control tokens and reset the struggle tracker by placing it in the zero space and placing, you know, one of each player's momentum tokens on that eighth, eighth struggle tracker. So each, each struggle is, is a new struggle, but I mean, all your characters are still potentially wounded or taken damage and in different places all across the board. So um, it'll be fun to see that play out. And then, uh, and then like if a struggle card has two maps, like we've, learned in like the transmissions um the player who lost the previous struggle chooses which of the two maps so that can put them in advantage even though you know they're already down a point on the game um so that's the that's the gist of struggles and scoring and phases obviously there's more intricacies but this is just a not a high level view, but like a mid level view of how everything's going to work. Um, so after that, uh, let's go ahead and jump into just how terrain and movement works for for the game. So Matt, how do how do those work for us? Yeah, ter- ter- terrain is going to play a, a huge part in this game because um, of there's three different features, and it's usually going to be mostly in the center of the board according to the setup rules. Um, so terrain uh, are defined by three qualities, elevation, um, if they're clear or blocked, or if they're passable or impassable. Um, so elevation, uh, it a different change in elevation is going to be higher than range two vertically. So each time you would have like placed a range two template uh, measuring vertically, if it's more than that space, that's going to be a different elevation. Uh and that can be, I mean, even the Corsa has like a three-tier part to it uh, for terrain. So it's going to play a huge part because you can, uh, potentially those objective points could be on that third tier to, uh, to prevent you from like being able to score it easily. And clear or blocked. So basically, if you can uh, clear pa- parts, do not block line of sight. So like if you you can walk under gantries, that's that's an example of a clear. So like if you're looking at the corset or the box, uh, any of those walkways where it has open space underneath it, that would be a example of a clear part of terrain. But if it's like a building side, that would be a blocked. Um but different parts can be impassable or passable uh, similar to that too. So, I mean, if you, uh, if it's taller than your current elevation, you're not going to be able to move over without doing a climb, climb at that. And then also once you get up on terrain, uh, your character base cannot overhang. So similar to MCP. So like you can't have your character, like part of your circle hanging off the edge. It has to be totally on that piece of terrain or elevation that you're on 
So Schick messed up. I see how it is. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, if it do- if it doesn't fit, it, yeah, you get yeah, you got to move it off. So, um, but like I said before, uh, vertical higher than range two is a different elevation. Um, doesn't matter. Whenever you do a move or a climb, you can climb up any vertical distance. Um, so you can, if you're doing the climb action, you don't have to stop at the, like the mid level elevation. You can go up to that upper tier. <laughs> Scamper up well. like a range five building. Exactly. I mean, we we did it in MCP all the time with people without flight or walk or so. That's true. We, like Black Widow. A, like, yeah. <laughs> There's some random fire escape she's climbing up. So that's but, that's fair. But I mean, characters in Star Wars, we get you know they can use the Force to jump. They get jetpacks, so we can use that in our theater of our minds to like justify how they can get up that high that quickly. Oh yeah. Um. Those clear and blocked uh, parts of terrain, they also uh, can affect the way you can attack. So if it's clear, you can actually attack through it on like range or melee, but block impedes that uh, ability to attack uh, and also blocks line of sight too. Uh, there's cool little points on uh, the terrain as well called ingress points. So these will be examples like ladders or uh, stairs or any other way like you could move faster so if your character actually ends an advance a climb a dash or a jump within range one of those ingress points you can move to the other end of that ingress point within range one at the end of that move if you want to so that's another way to get some extra movement so terrain makers might want to watch out for like long staircases so so like if it's a very long staircase you could be able to like you know move a lot of movement so you kind of will probably have a short, ver- more vertical type of ladder or uh, stairs. <laughs> that would be some stupid terrain. Yeah. I mean, I saw a discussion uh, on one of the discords earlier today about uh, ramps. How, how would you determine if that's like an ingress point or if it's, you know, because I mean, it's changing elevation. So we'll have to see how that discussion just ends Just up. don't play with ramps. Exactly. <laughs> just make itself easier on you. But we're not going to be wheelchair safe, though, if we do it that way. I I don't know if I've seen a wheelchair in Star Wars ever. <sighs> yeah, uh, we have seen a hover chair because uh, uh, Owen's dad, the one that marries uh, Shmi. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're correct. But, I mean, they're in the desert where everything is flat. So not their house. It goes underground. I like to pretend like they have a, like, you know, like one of those, like, stair staircase, like, lifts that goes up and down that he has to ride i mean they're they're kind of hover hover rounds anyway they're hovering everywhere i, mean, I know just think but, of grogu's little uh egg i mean it's always floating around right that's true that's very true um sean what do you uh what are your thoughts on on the terrain um and how you can interact with it and see through it and move it around it and stuff I actually was going to ask, like, so what's, what would be like a good example of like clear terrain? Um, so like, uh, like, you know, like how in the core box that like, you yeah, have the, the bridge that goes across. Yeah. So like, like something you, like graded or something like that. Yeah. You can see under it and you can see through it because it's, because it's graded. Well, um, right. It's more like that you can see both sides. So like you can move underneath it and still see past it. So think of it that way. I mean, 
the great part to see vertically doesn't really matter because you it's higher than range two, so you won't be able to gotcha uh, melee through it. But if you can like see all the way through it or move underneath it, think of that as clear terrain. I see what you're saying. It's a, yeah. it's a passable area like underneath. So like in you know, MCP, it's more of a 2D terrain where we can't like go underneath parts. Like say you got the right. jet, you're not supposed to move underneath the wings. So we can do that in Shatterpoint. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I think uh, I think my favorite thing about the, the terrain and movement at least, I mean, outside, like, I mean, seeing through terrain and, like, being able to, like, you know, shoot people between buildings seems awesome. Um, but I like the the ingress points that they introduced. Being able to, like, end within range one of a ladder and climb up um, for, for effectively free. Um, I mean, I guess that's part of the balancing thing because you can only get one move action per turn, really. Yeah, um, but you can also uh, do your take cover. So if you, you know, take cover, I believe if you, as long as you end that like placement, I think yeah, then move out. Move yeah, up you end any kind of movement within within range one of it, um, it works. But I just think that's that's awesome. So like you can because terrain is such like a pivotal part of the game. Like you can go up and down, mostly go up with with ease and not have to like potentially like deal with like another climb action or anything like that. Like there's specific mechanics they've introduced to make the terrain more accessible as you're playing the game. I think another part I really enjoy about it that it's not destructible as of right now. <laughs> so Good it, caveat. It's, it's, sta- it's staying there and you, you can try to plan around it and it might, you know, MCP like disappear sometimes because you know somebody throws it at you. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's that's great as well. I mean, it makes more sense for Star Wars too. Yeah, because I mean, like, it's not, you, you don't have people picking we... up buildings and throwing them at people. I mean, we see stuff get blown up sometimes, but I mean, usually yeah. in these like tight knit like action fight scenes that we're Shatterpoint's trying to depict you don't normally see like you know big explosions so that's true um well cool so we got terrain and movement now let's uh let's jump into the actions and then let's go a little more in depth into line of sight after that sean so why don't you take us away with the actions and then the the basics of line of sight yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll do a little break in between for that, too. So we have first your actions. You have your move, which is an advance, dash, or climb. Uh, if advanced and engaged by an enemy that would not that is not uh, wounded, you can move the template uh, as a dash instead. So meaning like if you're within like me- what they consider melee range, which is range two. Um, if you do a move action, you, it's you cannot just do your full advance. It, you have to do a dash to get out instead. So you, it kind of like limits how far you can move. Um, from there, you have, we have focus. So the next time you would do an attack, this activation, each character in that unit can add a die to their attack roll. From there, you have the, your actual like a combat, which is you make an attack. And it's each character within the unit. So always remember that. So if you're like a supporting unit and you're having like, you know, 
two of the mandos or two of your clone troopers whenever you do an attack action both of them get to do attacks you have a ability which is require you to use an action some abilities do some don't you have recover which uh does on your unit in themselves or another unit within range two and you can heal one or you can remove a condition then you have take cover which you push yourself range one and you gain a hunker token so uh, what would you guys think about uh, any of these um, actions i like that recover is just a basic action that people can make um i think that'll be I don't know like how much I'll be healing because it. I feel like damage can be just done very quickly, like healing actual, you know, healing damage. But I feel like removing statuses or conditions um, will be extremely useful. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. I think like the heal portion is just going to be something that's like you did one action. You really don't know what else to do. So you can just recover um, where I definitely see it being used more often on like removing conditions yeah and i like that you can also do it range two of another character doesn't have to be the same character activating yeah that's huge i think uh unlike you know an mcp where you can just do the shake and get rid of one status condition on yourself being able to just like remove something from a buddy within range two that's gonna be really good yeah it's like oh i don't want anakin to I don't want him to be like disarmed. Like Anakin does not need to be disarmed. Yeah, he, he already lost one arm. arm. <laughs> God. Uh, um, he yeah. ends up losing both, doesn't he? <laughs> and legs. Yeah. Dislegged. No, no, I don't think that's a no, condition no, yet. No appendages. And then that's the pinned one where he just can't move. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very true. All right. Well, after that, we're going to go ahead and kind of go into line of sight. Um, this has been, it's to some people, it's been a little convoluted. I'm going to go ahead and just kind of like go over the, what they have put directly in the book and kind of break things down a bit from there. So line of sight, a character has line of sight to an object. If a straight unobscured line can be drawn from any part of that character's base to the object, the line can pass unobscured through characters, any clear terrain parts, any block terrain parts that the character is overlapping, and any block terrain parts with the same or lower elevation than that character. The line cannot pass through block terrain features with a higher elevation than the character. If the object is on top of a terrain part, the line can pass unobscured through all terrain parts with the same or lower elevation as that object. So, do you guys have any questions before I continue on this? I don't think I do, but I feel like I've seen lots of questions online and I can't remember what they are. Right. So one of them I've seen, and so this is what people have been kind of like, I don't know how they, how I feel about it. One of the big ones is the, 
having line of sight uh, whenever they're on a piece of terrain um, that they are overlapping. So, for instance, if I have a, a clone trooper that is base level and they're look like almost like directly under and it's not a clear um, walkway, so like something graded, like we mentioned earlier, let's say it's like an actual just like metal walkway. So I can't physically see the target. However, because they're directly on it, it's considered unobscuring. So they, I actually would have line of sight. Um, that's been kind of a weird one I've seen people kind of mention. Um, but it for ease of play, I definitely can see why they've done it that way. Especially when you go back to talking about um, how scoring works and things like that how like i don't if there's a point up there i don't have to be up there as long as there's not another character in on that level contesting mm-hmm. i can still contest it from below uh it would be a little weird if it's like i'm down here they're now up there and i can't unless if i like completely get out of dodge i can't really interact with them anymore yeah so, yeah so and i think it it makes it a little easier too when you come into situations of I'm I'm actually not directly under you. I'm off to the side. I can see your the silhouette of your character, but I cannot see your base because they use base to base like eye levels. Um, that kind of changes how they have to do these rules. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. Matt, do you have a any thoughts on line of sight? No, I think it's for the most part, pretty straightforward. Cause I mean, I don't really see getting confused with it that much as of right now. I mean, I'm sure there'll be other terrain that might present issues, but right now I don't foresee any big issues with it. Yeah. And I'm sure like once, you know, we actually start playing the game and like understanding the rules a little bit more, it'll be easier to like make visual guides and graphics to to go along with it i'm excited whenever somebody in the community puts together those things yeah the uh the cover guide for mcp fantastic yeah absolutely and i'm sure somebody will make something very soon for this as well yep agreed um so the next thing we're going to do like a lot of these have to do with combat right now and obviously there's a lot of stuff like with the combat trees and expertise charts. Um, we're not going to cover a lot of that today. Um, in our, in one of our upcoming episodes, we want to do like a, a bigger breakdown of like how, like all those things work. And, um, and so look forward to, to listening to that. Um, but the next part of combat, like that plays a pretty decent factor is, is cover. So Matt, why don't you, uh, take away cover? All right, cover, you got to meet three different clauses to actually give yourself cover, which adds a dice to your defense. Uh, So you have to be within range one of a terrain feature at the same level or higher elevation of you. You have to be able to draw a straight line from any portion of the, the attacker and defender's bases that goes through that piece of terrain that blocks it. And the attacker has to be using a range attack. 
So if you're engaged, uh, so if like a melee attack, you're not going to benefit from cover. So if you're within range two, so basically any attacks range two, you might need to check to see if you're getting a cover. But remember, you have to meet all three of those conditions. Uh, do you think that's pretty clear for you guys? Like, I know we we all come from NCP, which has similar clauses you have to meet. Um, but do you see this being a big issue with most players? It seems pretty cut and dry to me. How about you, Kenny? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty cut and dry. And the thing I like about it, too, is like we get the like that obviously that adds one dice to our defense rolls, but it also stacks with the, any kind of hunker tokens we get. So like, let's say I have two hunker tokens on one of my clones, like, and they also have cover, like then I'm getting three extra defense dice um, for any kind of attacks that are being rolled against them or any, any ranged attacks, not just any kind of attacks, range attacks. Let me clarify. Yeah, that that really adds to that theory of mine to me, like picturing like gathers yeah, like, you know, Rex is like crouched down behind this piece of terrain, so he's getting the extra dice. Um, just helps with the, the story that the the game's telling. Alright, so I guess we can move on to the the icons caused by the, the combat trees and during combat. Yes. Um, so we have directed effects. So these are ones that are in your combat tree that you are afflicting on the, your opponent's uh, characters. Uh, so first there's damage. Um, it's pretty straightforward. So for each one of those symbols in the, in the tree is, that shows for damage, it kind of looks like a starburst, uh, half a starburst. Um, you, they're going to get one damage added to the da- damage pool that they're going to suffer. Uh, the next one's going to be a shove. Um, that one, you're going to push uh, that character range one. You can also pull yourself towards that character range one, so you can kind of follow up, so you can get some extra movement around the board. Uh, I always think of that, in my mind, like that scene in Revenge of the Sith where Anakin's basically forcing Obi-Wan towards the outside, towards Mustafar through that little hallway. This is how I picture it in my brain. Uh, next one is strained. Uh, so that is, uh, that gives the affected character a strain condition. Then there's disarmed, which gives them a disarmed condition. Exposed gives them an exposed condition and pinned, which, uh, gives them a pin condition. So that's the ones you're affecting on your, uh, your opponent's characters. The ones that are, you're affecting your character and not them is called personal effects. Uh, so there's an advance. So the effect that you're a mini can make an advance. So a lot of, you know, outside of movement action, be able to, you know, get where you need to reposition, which reposition is another one. Uh, so you can advance even if you're engaged with a unit that's not wounded. So you won't have to take that penalty that we talked about earlier of using that dash template rather than the advanced template. Uh, there's climb, so you can make a climb action. There's dash, make a dash action. Jump, you can jump, use your jump action. Uh, interesting ones where you can heal. So it's basically a heal action inside your combat tree. So you can remove a damage or condition from a character or one of your other characters within reach too. And then the best one, in my opinion, is uh, the active ability 
personal effect. So this lets you use one of your active abilities without paying the force cost, but you still have to utilize, like if that care, the action can only be used once per turn, that still can only be used once per turn, no matter if you're doing it outside combat or um, inside the combat tree. But you resolve that after all the directed effects and damage has been applied. So that'd be the last thing you do in the combat. Yeah. That active ability is pretty, pretty sweet. Yeah. Especially like on Asajj where you can do a force push from her combat tree. On, I on mean, or is, or is when like characters get wounded and then they have to pay an extra force cost for each of those abilities. Like that tax yeah. just doesn't exist. Yeah, so. it seems really good. <laughs> but so, you do have to get a lot really of successes sweet. usually to on most of the stance cards I've looked at. Like, oh yeah, that part's really high up in the tree. So you're usually your opponent's not blocking very well, and you're getting a lot of damage through. Yeah, but I mean the <laughs> the reward for doing that much is definitely yeah. worth it. Um, it. Sometimes can feel like a little win more. I think at least I'm just how I'm picturing it. But I mean. We don't know yet because we we hadn't got you know stuff on the table to actually mess around with it. Yeah. Any thoughts you have, Sean? Yeah, no. The active ability seems good. I the heal I think is pretty good as well. Um, it just depends. I think some characters like that have like multiple instances of heal. Like, didn't one of them have like heal three or some crap? I, I think Ahsoka like, did. Right, like, if you're hitting that, all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're just like, we talked about earlier, like, doing a heal action to only heal yourself for one doesn't seem that good. But, like, when you're just hitting someone or blocking, and next thing you know, you're just healing yourself for, like, three, that changes things. Yep. Um, that seems quite strong. Um, yes. It's like three, <laughs> four damage. Like, yeah, you just attacked me. I don't know what you're talking about. Right, right. Like, let's say you just rip like four blocks, you shut down their whole tree, and then you also heal three from a previous attack. Like, oof. Um, outside of that, reposition is as as mentioned. Um, I'm a big fan of movement shenanigans in my games, and uh, anything that lets me move more, I'm a big fan of. Yeah, yeah especially I, since we can't, you know do multiple move actions a turn. So being able to do it at another point to get around the board and control those extra objectives is huge. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's pretty sweet. But a lot of those apply conditions. Uh, Kenny, do you want to talk about the conditions? I do. Um, So there's five conditions in the game as of this moment that we know of. Um, So first one is pinned. So, Next time, uh, a car- or a unit makes an attack or an advance, a climb, a dash, or a jump, they instead do not do that and they remove the token. So makes sense. You're pinned down, can't move. Uh, pretty simple. Uh, then there's a there's disarm, uh, which um, you just can't use your expertise on your next attack. Um, or there's exposed where you can't use your uh, expertise on your next defensive role. Um, so those three are the kinds of the ones that like affect just like 
your actions or like your roles or anything like that. And then um, the one that, that I am uh, kind of, <laughs> kind of scared of is strain. Um, and that's where um, whenever a unit uses their advanced climb, dash, jump, or an active or reactive ability, um, they will also suffer three damage alongside of that, um, which seems kind of terrifying because that seems like <laughs> a lot yeah, of damage. Like most characters, like, huge chunk. It's like a third of like their health pool on like what you're like they're you know just if it's like one through eight like it's a lot of their health pool like they might have two wounds that they can sustain but still that's <laughs> that's a lot of damage um and then there's the condition that actually is is a boon to you which is hunker uh, which grants each unit uh cover one and so you lose uh you lose all your hunker tokens at the start of your activation or you become engaged um, and you cannot gain them if you are engaged so while it's good for you, like there's definitely some circumstances where you just can't have it or you might lose it depending on what your opponent does. Um, what are what are y'all's thoughts on the conditions? What are what are y'all excited to to use the most? What are y'all <laughs> worried to have used against you the most? Strain, 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 strain. Like that. Oh, it seems like so. It can like be very backbreaking. I think in a lot of situations to where like very similar to mcp where it's a lot of times it's just going to act like a stagger and you're just going to heal it off first before you do anything else yep yeah that's where i'm like oh yeah i will heal because it'll save me three damage right it might be the dark side player in me but i think pin is going to be the the one i hate the most because it's affecting how i'm able to move or i don't get to move or climb or anything i mean i strain yeah three damage is a lot but I'm probably, I'm thinking like that part in Force Awakens where, you know, Kylo just like, you know, he got shot with the bowcaster, but he just, you know, hits himself and keeps going. So, I mean, uh, I, I'm liking, I'm not liking Pin. <laughs> I, I want to be able to make my moves. Yeah, Pin, Pin also seems very strong too. I don't know which, which one I would pin to put as like the worst of the two, but um, yeah, they're both. In my eyes, those are both insanely strong. Disarm, in its own right, is very powerful too. I mean, just uh, not being able to use expertise in that, in in the same vein, expose as well. But I don't think those, in a lot of situations, will be as backbreaking as pin and strain. Yeah, I agree. Like they're both both brutal. <sighs> I think those like... will be worse than disarm when it comes between those two. Because like, if you look at some of the man- Mando cards, like their expertise gives them, you know, one to two to three extra blocks, depending on how many expertise they get. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. It'll be, it'll be fun to see and like experience. Cause I mean, I haven't proxied a game. Sean hasn't proxied a game. I think Matt's proxied once. And so our, uh, (laughs) our hot takes on these is, We'll, we'll learn with experience like what like actually feels bad like it might be like strain is like oh like it's just three damage like anakin has effectively 27 health who cares that much yeah or something like that oh absolutely um i will say hopefully i'll be proxying a game finally 
next week with uh, some locals. It'll be a lot of fun. Nice. Sounds That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, there's there's one last thing we want to cover before we, we jump into some listener questions. Uh, Sean, why don't you walk us through some of the keywords that we have in the game so far? Absolutely. So what we're going to start the game with um, is a list of appears to be six of them. That is immunity X. So this unit cannot suffer the listed condition. If a unit has a condition and gains immunity to it, the unit removes the condition. So X would, of course, just be whatever immunities will fill in in that spot. From there, we have impact X. When this character makes a focus action, it adds X additional dice to its next melee attack, in addition to the one already added by focus. So um, we'll be expected to see some characters that will get a, like, potentially kind of how we've seen spoilers here of Obi-Wan getting um, the extra, like, hunker tokens and whatnot. You might see some characters on the opposite side of that, just like having impact, maybe even giving impact to other characters, like some of his allies. Um, from there, you have protection. When this character is defending, before applying the damage pool, you remove one damage from the damage pool. So think of it kind of like damage reduction features from like Marvel. Mm-hmm. From there, you have scale. When this character would advance or dash, it may climb instead. So that seems very powerful. And especially if it has like any sort of abilities that would give them that ability to do like an additional advance or dash, they can always climb with it. Um, from there, you have Sharpshooter X. When this character makes a focus action, it adds X additional dice to its next range attack in, like on top of the one they get from the focus. So... Works the same way as the impact, but only for ranged attacks instead of melee. And then last, you have Steadfast, which is when this character is defending, it is not moved by the first shove effect from the attacking character's chosen combat tree option. So what do you two think of what we're starting with in the keywords department? Um, I personally am excited for impact and sharpshooter um because i like rolling dice and rolling more dice on my attacks sounds like a lot of fun yeah i i agree with that i um i'm not a big i'm not gonna say i'm not a big fan but from a bird's eye view uh focus doesn't seem very strong to me until you start getting to characters that have this feature Yes. Like when you start getting the characters that have like impact three or sharpshooter two, like anything, anything that's like giving them like extra pools of dice. Now we're talking. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Now I was going to say like, like Gar's action. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say was like a <laughs> saber tooth apex predators at the moment. One of my favorite MCP models. And anytime I can do a stop squealing and die, it's a good day. Yeah, so just remember, like, that sharpshooter, like, you have to make that focus action, but it's giving you that focus action die plus whatever your sharpshooter, like, uh, number is. So, like, Gar Saxon has sharpshooter, too, so you're getting three extra dice on top on his range attack Gosh. with that, so. Yeah, yeah. that's... What is his base? Um, 
I don't remember. Um, what? No, six. It's, I think it's six. I think it's yeah, six. So, and I think it's range four. Yeah, so nine nine dice range four attack seems quite good. Oh yeah, I uh, I like how they're already like playing around with with things like this. Like, I mean, obviously sharpshooter and impact are easy, but like this isn't a keyword, but it's a. Uh, the hunker tokens, like you see Obi-Wan playing around with that and like giving hunker tokens like additional benefits. Like I'm kind of curious to see where we can like push these keywords a little further, like through characters, um, like can like other characters like give impact, give sharpshooter to other characters or maybe like offer protection to other characters as well. Like, I don't know, like if a character is within range two of this character and like they're also part of the Galactic Republic, like they gain protection one. Like how like how will that work? And or like like, you know, what kind of mechanics can AMG introduce with these these keywords as well? Yeah, I think that'd be really interesting. I know one of the ones on this list, Steadfast, um, has the potential of being very good especially just like once you start learning like placements on points and knowing that well they have to push you off outside of wounding you of course they have to like push you off for them to gain control of it Mm -hmm. then when you're ignoring that first push every time they attack you that that changes things yeah Yeah. Um, yeah I mean what about you, actually, Rufath, Matt? Um, what do you think out of all of those? What, what, what were you most excited for? Um, I'm most excited for Steadfast because, I mean, I think pushing people off points is to try to contest them yourselves and control them is going to be a big one. So uh, getting that first shove ignored is, means that you're going to make them have to work harder to try to get you off that point so they can control it. Yeah, like you're forcing them to like hit those pips on their uh, combat trees. To like, you need at least two, like two to three of them to get me at all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm also curious, like characters with steadfast. Like, if you place them a little more aggressively, like on the objective, to where like if a character does like get one of their shoves, like oh, I'm still contesting it. Like you don't flip it into your control because of that. Right, right. That's actually exactly what I'm thinking about. Like, if you just plant a character dead center on top of that objective, it's like, you gotta... Right, you gotta hit three shoves if you want me off this point. Come get it. Yeah, seems pretty freaking sweet. Um, But that wraps up... uh, just our rules overview. As I said earlier, we'll be going a lot more in depth into the combat trees and expertise charts later, how they work and um, just some of the cool things that we see in those. But we've also got a a good amount of listener questions. So if you're not part of our discord, um, join our discord. It'll be pinned in the show notes below. Um, You can join it ask us questions as we're going through uh, just any of the various topics that we're coming up with. But before we jump into those, let's uh, go ahead and hear a word from our sponsors. 
Speaking of the core box, this podcast would absolutely not be possible if it wasn't for our sponsors, our friends at Tritex Games and GameChefs.org. If you're looking for If you're looking to buy some sweet, sweet tabletop fun at, in the if you're looking to buy some sweet, sweet tabletop fun in the U.S., head over to GameChefs.org and use the promo code GamersGuild for 15% off. And if you're in the EU, head over to Tritex Games and get 5% off their already deeply discounted goodies using the code TritexGGCP5. And if you have a local game store, keep supporting them. We are all for that. You can help support the podcast by joining the Gamers Guild Patreon for as little as $1 a month or, wait for it, $12 a year. That's right. I can do math. Also, join us on our Discord and be a part of the Gamers Guild discussion for all things fun. So, uh, the first question we've got, and we've got a lot from him, is, uh, is Thoris. Um, so his first question is, were there any surprises for you guys in the full release of the rules? Oh, and he said the full release. I didn't know if he meant characters or what. Um, I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's the rules. Cause I mean, that's, that's what we're talking so, about. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. So yeah, if it's sense. not the rules, just he can give us a hard time on our discord. Absolutely. Um, to me, not really. Um, I think leading up, you know, seeing the stuff through Adepticon and uh, discussing with like uh, Matt Squared about it. Um, nothing af- after seeing the actual full rule slate. Nothing really kind of like threw me off. I think the only thing that did, if at all, is not necessarily a set rule, but just like seeing how as i mentioned earlier how the struggle system works so that the game is going to be just a bit slower than what i expected that's what that's what surprised me um i think the biggest thing that maybe surprised me um we didn't really talk about that much this one because it deals more with combat is the wounded injured mechanic um because I like that your characters, you know, coming from MVP, we're, we're used to like, yeah, if our characters, uh, you know, get dazed and then KO, they're just gone. These, they actually get like one last hurrah. Um, so they would, you know, at the end of the activation, get their last wound and uh, injury and then go away. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they, they curl up to that last console, press the button that they need <laughs> to, you know, capture that point so you'd still score but then they're like uh fade into the force after that <laughs> <laughs> they just happen to do it every time yeah <laughs> so i mean I, I, that, that's one of the biggest surprises um i so i do like that so you're actually getting to you know, use those people and do and play the game with them without because there's sometimes like characters just get removed in other games where they moved once and then you didn't get to do anything else with them the rest of the game yeah, I will say I am glad. And I will. I'm sure we'll go into it more into a uh, the next episode talking about combat and stuff more. Uh, I like the the wounded and the injured mechanic in the game. I think they handled that very well in the rulebook. Agreed. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me, and 
I don't remember seeing this in like the MCP rule book was just like getting some like rules and superpowers for characters we haven't really seen much of yet. So like Aura Singh, like we saw one or two like superpowers for her. So just like getting little bits and previews of characters that we don't really know much about and don't know when they're releasing. Um, that so tells just, me they're around the corner. Yeah, I mean, well, we we kind of know they were around the corner from like the AMG, um, like the not the stream, but like the presentation. Yeah, the yeah, Adepticon reveal. Yeah, like we saw we saw her in like their revealed models, but it's just like, oh, like maybe these guys are sooner than I expected. Like, I mean, these could, these could be the Wave Three release in August or something like that. For all I know, but well, they at least had paint and had actual like photo shoots done. So I mean, I would assume they're sooner than later. Also, you're saying that Vader and Luke are sooner than later, too? I mean, we are we don't know, but it'd be I, nice. I hope so. <laughs> God, I hope what, so. No, I, I, like the, I like the... I've heard from other, other places the Bar 2-D2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, our next question from Thoris is, uh, is your thoughts on the penalties to being in melee? I'm assuming he's talking about like that penalty where like if you're wanting to advance out, you know, your movement becomes shorter. I do like that. that. So that it, losing hunker. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do like those aspects because like now you're engaged. So like you can't be hiding from your, your enemy. And then also like there's a cost to like you're engaged with that person in melee. You're not going to be able to easily get away from them. So I, I do like those penalties myself. Yeah, I mean it makes it makes sense for the game and like the the structure. So like it would be like it would be kind of weird. It's like oh like I kept hunker and I'm within range two of you, um, and like you're trying to shoot me potentially just because your guns are stronger than your melee, but like I have hunker, so like I get cover three even though you're like basically point blank. Like no, that should be that should be gone. Right. It's a it's a mechanic that lets range attacks still stay relevant and not let Hunker just get out of hand. Um, it makes it to where like also like in a game that does seem to benefit a lot of like shooting, um, because as I've seen, like the high majority of your range attacks are like range four, range five. Um, it makes it to where like you want to kind of get in melee to tie people down and make it harder for them to get around and like score. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, But to be fair, I don't think you can actually use your guns if you're engaged. So I think you have to do melee. This is true. You, I oh, do believe that is yeah. correct. I think you can't do range. You have to do me- a melee attack if you're in melee, right? I'm pretty positive on that one. I mean, we, we can discuss that further in, in combat in the next episode. So, <laughs> hey. Look at me getting rules wrong already. Um, the third question from Thoris is uh, how cool are the snippets? I'm assuming he's talking about the, like the little like diagrams and blurbs and like yeah from Ahsoka, aka yeah, Snips. Yeah, 
I get that now. I totally forgot about this next part. <laughs> Man, I feel dumb. Uh, I do. I do like those. Um, because I mean, it catches your eye, like that. That's talking, going more in depth about a certain thing. So, I can't believe I forgot the snips part. <laughs> Man, uh, I, yeah, I, I think they're I, great. They killed it. Yeah, I loved it. I I thought that it being called snippets was phenomenal. Like whoever came up with that idea, AMG, if you're listening, give them a raise. They deserve it. Um, last question from Thoris is, uh, what do y'all think about there being only one mission set so far? I think, I think I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, tease it at least earlier in the episode, but, um, it's an interesting choice, especially since we haven't really heard or seen anything stating another one. Um, but I do, I do think it's fine because of, how it the struggle system works with it how you have all those different scenarios that you can like not run into the same thing for well how many was it like we said what 27 yeah i think there'll be a lot more replayability than than people think they will there will be so right i'm okay with it for the start i mean i'm sure we'll get more because i mean i'll be curious if you can if you can mix and match between like the struggles and mission sets or if those are locked in as well. That's interesting. It, like if they were, re- if they release like a second struggle set for a certain mission, um, layout. Yeah. Are yeah. They, yeah. Are they tied to that specific one there? Cause there is a set symbol on the struggle cards. Good to know. So that'll be fun to see. I'm, I'm excited to experiment with. And the rule book does say that, that, that set symbol is what mission set the card is from. So I wonder if we'll be able to mix and match. Yeah, it'll be. I'm curious. Um, next question is from Quincy. Uh, how easy do you think the game is or will be to learn? Game's easy. Too easy. <laughs> you, can learn, you can learn it in like an hour. If that, nah, I think it's going to be fine. Um, I don't think there's anything overly complicated, especially if you're already like a tabletop gamer, Um, especially if you play MCP already. Um, I don't think you're going to really run into a lot of problems. It's just some like small growing pains of just like, oh, in this game, it went this way. Oh, I have to do it this way now. Um, Outside of that, no, this game looks pretty like when it comes to like tabletop games as a whole i would put it on like the easier side of the scale maybe pushing mid but definitely a bit more on the easier side i agree if you have any type of tabletop miniatures background at all you should be able to i think pick it up pretty pretty easily uh especially if you played mcp or i would even probably say legion from the very few many times i've played that game um there's a lot of similarities throughout a whole as a whole. So, I mean, I think like, like Sean said, it's probably about mid scale. It's not, not that hard. Not that there's some stuff that will confuse you at first, but after a few games, you'll be fine. Yeah. I think a lot of like the complexity budget in MCP was like giving, like if each game has like a complexity budget of like, you know, wanting to not make the game like just an entire, like, 
mind numbing experience. Like you want to make some things easier than others. Like MCP spend a lot of their, spend a lot of their complexity on the character cards and um, like giving each character like somewhat unique attacks and superpowers and stuff like that. Whereas where it seems with Shatterpoint, like a lot of the complexity budget is spent more so on like the terrain and like interacting with the terrain, but also the combat and expertise charts, like making up for not having like unique attacks. So like, I think it'll be easier in regards to like, it'll flow a lot easier, but it's just going to be, a little harder i think initially to like like okay like here's my combat tree here's my expertise chart like how do these flow together and like getting used to like reading those results and performing all those actions but i mean once you get the hang of it like it'll probably just be second nature and you can do it in your sleep i think one thing that will help action wise is like you can only do a certain action once per turn so that like, too. you know, I can only attack once. I can only, you know, move once. So I think that will help simplify it for a lot of people. Yeah, can't have Maul double tapping people. Well, that would be awesome, though. Right. I mean, that's what he does. It, it is, but it would be stupid. Um, stupid Anakin good. can double tap. Yeah. Anakin can, but it costs him two force to do it. He's got force for days, though. That's true. It's all those midichlorians, man. Um, are there, uh, this next question is also from Quincy. Um, are there any rules that you think are destined for the forums for clarifications? Or is that something like we just haven't experienced yet to, to truly understand it? Line of sight. I think if we're already seeing people talk about it, it's destined to like have a lot of questions on the forums. I mean, to be yeah. fair, that's that's usually a big question, regardless of the mini minis game, honestly. Because I mean, I've I've played quite a few, and there's always a lot of discussion, like if your model can see this or not. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I'm awful at rules and like finding those weird like little interactions but i'm sure as like soon as like shadow marvel matthew starts going crazy with the game he'll uh he'll find some interesting rules interactions because i know he's submitted a good amount of things for the forums for for mcp so i'm sure he'll find something to to try and break or want clarity on um got two more questions for us uh this next one is from our friend Dizzard, who does the Rogue Agents podcast for MCP. Um, do y'all think the core box is structured fairly, or is there like an edge one way or another to like the light side or the dark side? I think Matt might be a better person to answer That's that true. question. Matt, you're you're a pro here. Um, I think it's pretty balanced. Uh, if I had to, if I had to guess if there was one side stronger it's maybe the light but the dark side player in me says that it's balanced because i mean maul has a lot of cool abilities and seems like he can you know one shot people uh the super commando mandos are a lot of fun 
Asajj, you know, her force pushes seems very good because a, a push a range three that's that's quite a ways away. <laughs> so I mean, I I think they're pretty balanced um, because you both sides have one that is really melee focused or like damage focused with Maul and Anakin. Um, the other ones have it more like utility focused because like Soka can do a lot of healing and remove conditions, protecting her, you know, troopers or mandos. Asajj is just all about disruption. Kalani is sending his battle droids to do his work. <laughs> so I, I think they're pretty balanced and they, they both seem fun to play both sides, no matter which side you pick. Yeah. Without having played, I, I agree. Like nothing sticks out to me as like stupid overpowered versus everything else. Yeah, an agreeance there too. It looks, I agree. Like light may have a very slight edge, but it's nothing as it should. Crazy, sure, <laughs> sure. It's Star but Wars. Yeah, yeah, like the good guys, like don't have their slight edge, but it, you can absolutely win with the the dark side characters. Yeah, I think it's a lot more balanced than like if if you want to compare it to like the MCP box. If you just take the villains versus the heroes in that one. I think in that box, like, you know, the Avenger side, <laughs> the hero side has a clear advantage over like the, the hodgepodge of villains that's there. Cause they're not as a coherent team as like most of the heroes inside the MCP box. Yep. That's fair enough. Um, our last question comes from coffee time. Uh, and he says, due to the squad structure, um, how quickly will the competitive scene be ready for new releases? So I think the fact that they release full squads, like we're not just getting trickles of characters here with the, the drops from the expansion packs. Like, you know, when Obi-Wan comes out uh, and Dooku comes out alongside the core box, and then also we're getting with Minara and Grievous, in july like we're getting a full squad every time when we get one of those i think that's gonna help because you can either just play that squad out of the box or you can start mixing and matching i think when it comes to competitive scene so like that it's gonna be very similar to mcp we're not gonna be hungry for more drops more releases um we're if they're going to be releasing them like this, like two boxes for the next like few months. I think the competitive scene will be ready to go in the next like month or two after release, most likely. Yeah, I'd expect like August or September for it to really start like having some kind of foothold where you'll see a lot more variety and things because at that point we'll have core box and then six other squad packs. So. 10 squads essentially that you can choose from right assuming of course that you they're also dropping two more in august as yeah. well um That's i will true. say too we have a leg up like unlike we did like for mcp you know outside of covid and whatnot but um the fact that they've kept the scaling at least close enough to like legion size there's a, a already a vast majority of like legion terrain out there that you can just plug and play a lot of tables with. You might not be able to use all of it, but a, a good majority of Legion terrain is going to work just fine for this game. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
So what you're saying is we hold our little own like side get together at NashCon. <laughs> oh, that's 100% gonna happen. Yeah. I'll be absolutely bringing my Shatterpoint stuff with me at NashCon. Come yeah, at I'll, it. I'll be grinding some some side Shatterpoint games at NashCon. But so gotta, if you're wanting to MCP. try Shatterpoint out, is what we're saying is like come to NashCon for MCP, try out Shatterpoint with our stuff on the side. True. Yeah, we'll have I'll have. Probably I'll have all my, my stuff. Shatterpoint stuff with me, um, and a decent bit of terrain. So um, I'll do the same too. As whenever I'm not running events, I'm down to teach some Shatterpoint. Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Gonna love. I mean, NashCon's such a treat. So come to NashCon, hang out with us. Pretty much all the crew for both like the Shatterpoint and Crisis Protocol sections of the podcast will be there. So come hang out with us, come meet us. Um, but thanks for, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we're excited. We got the rules. Uh, now we've got, uh, you know, a lot more content that'll be, uh, easier to make for you guys to, to digest. And if you have any ideas on any kinds of topics you want us to cover, uh, just again, join us in discord, shoot us any messages or DMS and we'd, uh, we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, but until next time, keep on gaming. <laughs>